Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. And socialism, although preached in a very scary way, boogeyman-like way, to citizens of this country now, is not foreign. You were born in 1941. I'm essentially Franklin Delano Roosevelt, still president. The things that he was proposing at the time, like Social Security, things of that nature, were considered socialism taking us on the road to communism. And I think that's something very mean and damn near evil that's said when, when you're talked about, because it doesn't represent what I think your real philosophy is, and people of my community, my ethnic community, haven't had an opportunity to hear you simply say, these are the things I think. So what is socialism, and what does it mean to the black community? All right. What it means to me, what it means to the black community, what it means to the American community, is the understanding that when we talk about rights, right? Yes. You have freedom of speech. You can go out on the street court and give a speech. Absolutely. You have the constitutional right to do that. Absolutely. But you know what? To be truly free, you need economic rights as well. Absolutely. All right, so you can go out and give a speech, but you don't have any food in your stomach, you don't have a house roof over your head, if you don't have any education, are you really free? And I think that in the richest country in the history of the world, Mike, which is what we are right now, we can do infinitely better in providing economic rights to our people. So when I talk about democratic socialism, this is what I say. You have a right, regardless of your income, to health care. I believe that. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you're old, young, black, white, you have a right to health care. You have a right to have an education. And I think in the year 2015, you have a right to have free tuition in public colleges and universities if you have the ability. So today we're talking with Phoenix Kalita, who has this great podcast called The Black Podcast. If you are not listening to this podcast, you need to start. Hi, thank you. Absolutely. So lately, I wanted to first talk about intersectionalists versus um, yeah. I'm using my scare quotes right now, class reductionist, because I don't think I don't <laughs> I don't think the people making class that class should be triaged over race arguments are actually reductionists all the way. I think they do um, they do agree that racism exists and that class issues aren't going to resolve racism. That's that's really not the argument they're mm-hmm. making. They're basically saying at the end of the day I want to feed my kids. Um, and that's what's right. going to be taken so where do you fall in this argument? Um, as you've watched it unfold, um, what do you have commentary on? <laughs> right? Well, according to most of Twitter, I'm a class reductionist, and I hate talking about race, um, which is a little bit just, weird. I need to chime in on that, because here's the other part of the conversation. I giggle, but you know what? It's really obnoxious when I see white people telling black people how they're supposed to feel about racism. It's just fucking wrong. Don't do it. Yeah. You can disagree with a political yeah. opinion, but, but come on, man. <laughs> That's like that's like saying I'm going to defend racism by being racist because you have no agency, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, carry on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's almost like the leftist version of like what um like the neolibs are doing right now of like the whole Russia convinced black people to stay home because black people are stupid and gullible. Like this is kind of like the leftist version of that. Um, so yeah, according to Twitter, I only believe in class and I don't talk about race, which if you follow me on Twitter and you have ever seen my timeline, yeah, I'll give you a minute to stop laughing. Um, but, 
<laughs> Jesus Christ, my podcast is called The Black Podcast. We talk about race kind of a lot. I know, um, right? It's, but, it's yeah. nuts. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, my thing about it is I am perfectly fine with triaging right now in this moment, you know, economic security, economic safety. And I think that a big part of racism that people are overlooking is how often um, economic terrorism is used to hurt people of color, especially black people and especially indigenous communities. And it's like, we need that economic security before we can move forward. And people are saying things like, Oh, well, you know, even if we have, you know, Medicare for all, it's not going to stop, you know, medical racism. No, but it will allow people more access. More access is good. You know, that's definitely needed. And that's, life-saving, you know, people say, well, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage isn't going to stop workplace racism. No, but it will allow people to be able to afford their rent, which, you know, kind of fucking amazing. <laughs> and, you know, so on and so forth. It's, you know, okay. and it's, it's just wild to me that people don't seem to grasp this, um, you know, particularly think, as it comes down to... Mm-hmm. Who do they think is most affected by income inequality in the country? White men? Uh, yeah, I the mean, answer is always I, white men, which is outrageously not true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't understand this uh, line of reasoning at all. On the heels of last week's deficit agreement, which widely criticized, was widely criticized for excluding a tax hike on the wealthy as well as any measures to tackle high unemployment, the Congressional Black Caucus has launched a month-long campaign to address staggering unemployment rates among African Americans in Detroit, Cleveland, and Los Angeles, two cities that are stops on the tour. The unemployment rates are in the 40 percent range. The caucus chair last week slammed the deficit deal as a Satan sandwich that unfairly harms African Americans. Meanwhile, The Washington Post reports Obama will embark on his own jobs tour that will take place in the middle of the caucus's campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I had a conversation with somebody a couple months ago about this, and they were saying that, like, even if we have Medicare for all, even if we have, um, you know, the $15 an hour minimum wage, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not going to stop racism. Like, police brutality is still going to be a problem, right? And I was like, yeah, but if I get arrested by police and I'm making $15 an hour versus making $8 an hour, what are the odds I'm going to be able to afford my bail? Right. That's kind of fucking huge. You know, especially when you consider we have a country where the majority of the jail, not prison, but jail population is just people who can't afford their bail. They haven't even been convicted mm-hmm. yet. That's right. So that is huge, you know. Huge. But people, you know, they don't want to have that conversation. But, you know, to me, this is harm reduction. This is this is a triage approach. This is um, putting the most effort where the most effort is needed immediately. And I think a big thing people overlook is if you um, if you can't access shelter, if you can't access food, if you can't access medical care, that affects your overall health, your overall well-being. Yeah. And it's really hard to be an activist or to be in streets doing protests and marches or to be, um, you know, constantly calling your, you know, your um, elected officials or to be engaging in some sort of activism if you're too tired to get out of bed because you haven't eaten for two days. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like if you're so sick that you can't get up, if you're so sick you can't get up, how the fuck are you supposed to be out here fighting for this revolution? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, uh, yeah. again, you got to prioritize. No, I totally agree with that. And <clears throat> I don't see why this is this giant, scary thing you just said. To me, this just seems completely rational. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of these <laughs> folks try to say that it's not. And then, I, of course, I expect to hear that sort of dialect from the from the right and from the centrist crowd because mm-hmm. 
or the neoliberals even, because obviously they're caping for corporate America for plutonomy. They're caping for a capitalist system that benefits from keep, keeping people divided and, and folks not having solidarity. So, so that makes sense to me, but I don't understand why it's coming from the left. It seems just odd to me, but, um, but here we are. Uh, I think a lot of it honestly is like, um, like just arrogance and sort of like intellectual masturbation where it's like <laughs> a lot of people on the left, they've done, yeah, seriously, seriously. Cause like they've done like, you know, the research and the study, you know, like, I know about racism and like, they can like fucking quote you like mm-hmm. the history of blackface, you know, like, yeah, I don't like blackface either, but like on a priority scale, you know, there are definitely things that come before, um, you know, yeah. being mad about blackface. And that right. doesn't mean blackface is okay, but you know, but you know, they still like, oh, here's the history of blackface. And they'll love to give someone like, yeah. you know, a Twitter thread and just yell at someone on Twitter and be like, here's how, you know, the history of this word is racist and, right. you know, this and that. But it's like, when it comes to the practicalities of having to live in a community that suffers from that type of oppression, they don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, instead of boosting up the people who have to live, um, under those circumstances, they would rather just tell you what they learned to make themselves feel better because they can tell you uh, how smart they are. Mind you know, drop. this is me dropping the I, link in the background right now. I, uh, Phoenix, <laughs> that no, seriously, that is part of it right there. And I see this a lot from I hate to say it from white liberals. They have this weird assumption, and obviously it's not everybody, but I'm talking about the folks that I see making these statements. They have this weird assumption, I think, that the black community is monolithic. In its beliefs, A, mm-hmm. and that B, its beliefs must mirror their own because we're going to save you from the evil right sort of a mentality. But they right. don't bother to actually have a conversation with these folks that they purport to be saving. I want to read you a tweet from Jen, the comedian Jen Kirkman because I think it fully embodies mm-hmm. what we're discussing. <clears throat> she, um, a person of color, said to her on Twitter, to say that progressive people, especially progressive people of color, are being used to destabilize America is one of the most offensive things I've heard from anyone I admire in a, in a while. And I'm begging you to have humility right now and consider the harm you're causing, which I completely hear this. I think, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Jen doubles down and says to her, you have been, fe- wait for this, you have been fed some deeply disturbing Kremlin-backed propaganda this attitude is not your own. It was cultivated and handed to you, and you think you've made a choice. But you're being used to dismantle your own democracy. Love you. Hope you can come around. She's, like, number one, she's completely taken away this person's agency. Like, everything she says mm-hmm. must not be her own thoughts, which is so fucking offensive. Pardon the F word. And then she says, love you to a stranger on right. top of it, which is so condescending. I, so I read this. and I Incredibly. Go, yeah. So to me, this is... This mm-hmm. is deeply racist, but I guarantee that that she doesn't yeah. see it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's, um, you know, the like, there's like, because every for some reason the country is freaking obsessed with like um, binaries, right? Everything yeah. has to become a binary. Totally. So it's either you are a conservative who is a sadistic, malicious racist who wants to go around lynching black people. Yeah. Or you are one of the good white people who is like a very nice liberal who is going to save them from themselves. But either way, whether you see black people as, as, yeah, like whether it's like you see black people as some sort of, you know, brute savage threat 
mm-hmm. or you see black people as, um, you know, children who are, can't base, uh, grasp basic comprehension skills, <laughs> you're an asshole either way. Like, let's just be I honest. I agree. You know? It's offensive. I, so, but I don't understand how these folks don't hear themselves. They type this out and I see it constantly. I mean, the idea that Black Lives Matters is Russian psyops is just... Like I, I just can't even have words for this. How can you? How can you say such a thing with a straight face? As if, as if, as if the oppression of black people started on January first, twenty seventeen. Seriously, where have you been? It did. It did. <laughs> um, not paying, not paying attention. Right. Right. At all. Like not because you know, and that's because that's the thing too. Is I think like part of this conversation also has to go with like um, demographics of America and like geography of America and how living situations are set up because there's mm-hmm. a lot of white people in America who don't really know any black people. That's just scary. Like there are, a, there's a lot of towns in America where you, there's like no black people who live there. Yeah. Or even if you do live in like a major city, there's no black people on your block. There's no black people in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, some guy who works in a building in the same building as you happens to be black does not mean you know black people, right. you know, just because you happen to ride the subway and what, that does not mean you know black people. Like, you don't exactly. live in a black community. You don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that leads to the idea that black people are monolithic. I think that leads to the, you know, idea that um, black people have only, you know, a certain amount of concerns. And, you know, something else, too, that white people don't really realize. And this isn't even, I mean, yeah, we're talking about race right now, but just in general, when you have um, a group that has more privilege versus a marginalized group. The privileged group never really knows what's going on right. behind closed doors and marginalized groups because yeah. it is um, dangerous to speak on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I can tell you, like, I've been in groups with women where we talk about, you know, rape culture. We talk about being scared of men. We talk about being scared to, you know, right. walk down the street at night by yourself, things like that. But you would never just go up to a man and say that. Right. right? right, right. And it's the same, it's the same thing when it comes to race. Like we, and the, Black people are incredibly diverse, but a lot of us have a pretty solid understanding of white supremacy and racism and police brutality and needs of the community, even if we have maybe different ways of how we want to accomplish our goals or we have different um, causes that we, you know, different roots of what we perceive to be the problem. But at the end of the day, we know these things exist, but we can't just go around saying that to white people. No. Like we can't, white people are mad that we told police to stop killing us, but white people are going to sit down and have an entire conversation about, and this is why environmental racism is bad. And this is how um, gentrification, like, I made a thread one time about how gentrification causes gang violence. White people have not mm-hmm. let me forget it to this day. You're kidding me. And it's like, but yeah, yeah. Because like it had never occurred. Apparently it never occurred to white people that when you come in and gentrify a neighborhood, a poor black neighborhood, and you force the residents to leave because they can't afford the rent right. increases, right. they have to go into another black neighborhood that already has designated um, rules, lines, leaders, so on and so forth, and now they all have to compete over resources that had already been settled to a certain extent, which leads to violence. Oh Apparently, white people have not thought of it. <laughs> you know, which I but don't it's like, understand. how is this not obvious? Most of this, most of this stuff is related to economics. Obviously, gentrification has. You know, they want to make the argument that, well, look how much nicer the neighborhood looks now. Now there's better housing. But what difference does that make if people cannot afford the fucking housing? I don't, you know, in Los Angeles right now, we have a horrible problem with homelessness. We have people that are working full time Mm -hmm. and they live in tents or they sleep in their cars. And it's fucking gross. But yet here we are. And most of that has to do with the gentrification that came along with getting rid of rent control laws, et cetera. So this stuff is all intertwined. 
And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like we have a $15 minimum wage in Los Angeles, but you can't pay rent on that. Do, I mean, just do wrap, do the math. Right. If you're the, a studio apartment, which is like what? 400 square feet is averaging 2,400. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy. Right. Yeah. That's wild. It's wild. So it, I you just, know, but they don't, they don't, they don't think about that though, because mm-hmm. if I can do it, why can't anybody else? Right. Without considering all the other factors and, and really how interconnected things are. People do not understand how systems work. You know, they really don't, As, you know, right. they'll see one thing like, oh yeah, police brutality is bad. Right. But then it doesn't occur to, as you're fucking gentrifying my neighborhood and you start mm-hmm. calling the cops on black people being black. Now we have a police presence, which is going to lead to more police violence. So yeah, you said police is bad, but you're directly contributing to the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm, systems is how they work. Right. And then of course, Right. And then, of course, you have, you know, a handful of people who get locked up and they can't afford bail. They haven't even been convicted yet. But now those are primary breadwinners out of a home. Mm-hmm. So now the kids go hungry. Right. Yep, and then yep. DCFS shows up because the parents get paid. And it's like just it's like a, a series of dominoes. And people series. really who haven't who haven't lived it really cannot piece it together like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. You could have empathy for a situation, but you can't necessarily really understand the situation until you've really been in the throes of it. And I think that's definitely true, which is why mm-hmm. more listening needs to happen across the board. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, Melina Abdullah, who is a professor at Cal State LA, which is um, where I did part of my master's program. Um, she mm-hmm. is one of the founding members of Black Lives Matter here in Los Angeles, and she's uh, she writes about Pan-African studies, all of these sorts of things. Which- Molina. Well, I think there are possibilities of solution, and I think that the work um, being done by mayors like Raz Baraka in Newark, New Jersey, who's talking about redefining public safety and really getting to the root, root causes of violence and crime in our communities, recognizing the central role that intervention, prevention, community resources, mental health resources play in driving down crime. I think that for too long, we have lived in a society that has poured resources, too many resources, into a policing system that creates an unsafe situation, especially in black communities. And I think that we need to be more creative than that. We need to completely reimagine and redefine what public safety is. And no one at Black Lives Matter is responsible for um, the things that your guest is talking about. There had been no call. Um, there's never been a call cops. for what us to. Now? Pigs in a there blanket. has been Frying no like call. Bacon. Do you hear what he's saying? There's there's been been no I, can't, I can't ignore. Are you listening? I, I hear what he's saying. Your banner. Your of course banner. you can't Black ignore him because matter. he's talking over me. Right. Because you're not responding. I think that this is, again, a very, um, it's a minute, it's it's a small example of the way in which police um, continue to um, uh, try to talk down, talk over, and put a message across that is simply untrue. And while you might point to a single... While you might point to a single incident, our primary chant is black lives, they matter here. And black lives should matter. Black lives should matter everywhere. And it's unfortunate that police don't seem to see that. Black lives, white lives, Um, And so if, if, if you think that everyone's lives matter, then you should have absolutely no problem saying black lives matter. I, and I have no problem with saying that. What I have a problem is you discount so the say hundreds it. of people say screaming. Say it then. If screaming, you have no problem saying matter. it, you've had White no problem saying no, human it. Beings, Black human lives matter. matter. Black lives are being but killed not, not by not White police. Lives not White lives, not others. 
black lives at eight times the rate of every other group. Do you want to really, do you really so want to talk about to statistics? Be, do you really want to talk I about statistics? I absolutely want to talk so about statistics. You and I want to you to Guys, not try please. to spin please. things. Please. I'll tone Let's it be down. polite. I'm, I'm, I'm Let's composed. have a conversation. This is important. Do you realize, do you realize that African Americans commit homicide at the rate four times that they would be expected to statistically? Why is that, Melina? Well, one, I don't accept your statistic, but two, I think that it's really important that we understand. I think it's really important that we understand the structural causes of violence with black people being poorer than every other group, with black people having much higher unemployment rates than every other group, with black people having untreated mental health conditions, with black people having under-resourced communities. That's not true with anybody. Forgive me, let me interrupt the both of you. Let me interrupt the both of you. Let me interrupt the both of you because I'm going back to the FBI director because, listen, I'd love to talk to a lot of active cops and I have in Baltimore, but it's difficult and I have to trust the director of the FBI who is talking to a lot of police chiefs. And again, he goes back, and I hear you, Melina, and a lot of this is about like really truly understanding the root cause of violence but this is part of what Comey has said that's made news you know he lists these roots of violence yes drugs gang warfare availability availability of guns he says these are all useful suggestions but says it doesn't explain both the map and the calendar in disparate cities over the last 10 months so the map in terms of uh, an uptick in violence in the calendar in the wake in particular uh, of Ferguson how would you respond to director Comey final question well I I think that those um, points that he's making still are not the root causes of crime and violence. The root causes of crime and violence are not drugs. Where do drugs come from? Why are people engaging in the particular crimes that they're engaging in? Why are people, and, and we can also think about our communities being over-policed and not getting to those root causes. In my city of Los Angeles, we have had a 35% increase in black homelessness. We have had a 52% unemployment and underemployment rate in the black community. And so those kinds of things, the black jobs crisis, the black housing crisis, um, the black health crisis are all the root causes of crime and violence. And I would love to see us get to those kinds of questions, okay. which are structural in nature. But she's been very active mm -hmm. in economic issues in Los Angeles. And <clears throat> In fact, she spoke, and I'm sure she got dragged for this. She spoke at a uh, Green Party rally last year that I attended okay. to, to hear her speak because and her main, the main thrust of what she was talking about was the economic issues, much in the way that Dr. Mm -hmm. Cornel West discusses the same things. And I think this really makes white liberals very uncomfortable because there's, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, there's this this need for them to have their firewall. I'm using my scare course now because that was their Clinton word for it, firewall to stay where mm -hmm. they're supposed to stay. And the minute they step away from the boundaries they've been given, people freak out, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. what do you think is, is driving that need? Is it, um, so, the, so the conservatives say that it's this idea of white guilt, white redemption. And obviously I'm an uber leftist, but I do understand their point. I can say I would not be, um, I would not be being charitable if I said I did not understand where they're coming from. I, I do get that. Or is it mm -hmm. that they feel so deeply the need to stay in power and they know that a big source of their power <clears throat> comes from support within the black community? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't, I understand like theoretically the white guilt thing, but I don't really find that to be, I don't find white people to be feeling guilty for being white, <laughs> even aside the like, right. like, the, oh, we right, fuck as people. It's like, yeah, I mean, you say that, but you don't, 
you don't mean it. No, you they know. don't mean it, but um, they sort it, of I, think it makes them feel a little better, <laughs> like you were saying earlier. I get them, but you're, yeah. right. you're right. They don't really feel yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't actually need it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but I think a lot of it is about power and maintaining um, the hierarchies that we have. Mm-hmm. A lot of white people, even people who, um, you know, say that they're swear up and down, they're not racist or they're not anti-black, are really incredibly comfortable with the idea of racial segregation. Yeah. Right? That's where I get a few too many black people in the neighborhood and they're like, oh, yeah. what is this? No, you know, no, and it's, right? they, they start getting a little nervous. And I think that's on every level. And because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I also think too that there's um, just sort of the, um, I said like tossing people crumbs, I guess, you know, yeah, or it's like, totally. you know, because I, you know, because I got to say, like a lot of these arguments I find that like white liberals make are incredibly similar um, as far, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like as far as like underlying um, intent, I guess mm-hmm. maybe I, I might have to parse out the word here better. Um, yes, motivation is a lot of the same shit as conservatives have. Conservatives will yeah. be like on this, like oh, you know, what, diversity is a word for white genocide. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you know. But that's the thing is, but it, but the underlying fear is losing power, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's the same shit. Like you put a few too many black kids into a white charter school, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. what am I doing? I'm not mm-hmm. comfortable with it, you know. But it's it's uh, you know trying to challenge that power imbalance, and they're really not comfortable with that at all. No. You know, and the underlying motivation is always a uh, social hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, this is reminding but, me of a scene. I just watched my screener for The Hate You Give. Have you seen this film yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. Probably not. Going, I'm probably not going to. It's, it's, it's a white audience film for sure it is. No, it totally is. I, I read the book and I'm the book, like, all okay. right, whatever. Something my God's and little girl named Corinne. Man, you coming at me for my music, but you listen to this old stuff. Old stuff? What? You better get up out of here with all that pockets of truth. Well, I got a boyfriend. Yeah, I heard, but it's all good. Really? We've been together our whole lives, Star. We got time. My name is Star. Two R's. Daddy named me that. Garden Heights. Mama and Daddy says our life is here, because our people are here. We got Mr. Rubin's Barbecue, Mr. Lewis's Barbershop, and Daddy's Store. The high school is where you go to get junk, high, or pregnant. We don't go there. Williamson is another world, so when I'm here, I'm Star version 2. Yo, those kids are lit! Basically, Williamson Star doesn't give anyone a reason to call her ghetto. And I hate myself for doing it. Until the weekend comes around. I get those goosebumps every time. What's up? Where you been at? I, mean, I don't know. You be hanging with all the white kids. Shut up. Out of the car. Yo, Star, you okay? Go back where he told you. Khalil, I'm not playing. Go back where... <laughs> what did you do? Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Violence, brutality. It's the same story, just a different name. When I attack with impact, it's real tactful. The black cat waited and sat, debated to... It's best if she don't talk to father. With a passion, while seeking... She's threatening her. The only true power is a power within the people. 
It's about more than just glue. It's about black people, poor people, everybody at the bottom. I need to speak for him. You think we can never achieve the inconceivable? We don't belong, but we here unbelievable. When you're ready to talk, you talk. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. I ain't named you star by accident. gets at that because the dad sends his kids to a prep school like a college private prep school obviously that's mainly mm-hmm. like a shit ton of white kids privileged white kids at right that. and um the young girl makes really close friends with this white chick through the years of a school until all of a sudden it dawns on her like how completely racist her white friend is and she just never noticed until her black mm-hmm. friend was killed you know, she starts it with the all lives matter right. and all this. And she, anyway, it's, it's, it's a really interesting scene from a cultural perspective only because of what you're getting at right here. If you ask this young girl, if she's racist, right. she's like, no, but you're racist. If you don't think all lives matter, like what? <laughs> it's like, really? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's always been the thing. Um, as far as, you know, I was saying like giving, uh, you know, different marginalized groups crumbs. It's like, well, yeah. we're not lynching you and we don't say the N-word. Like, what more do you want from us? I don't know. I don't know. Equality, maybe? What the hell? Fair point. Like, you know? I, just, I mean, really? Yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's really disturbing to me. And I think another aspect of this that I really became more aware of was when Obama was running against Hillary back in 2008. I, Mm -hmm. there was that whole group of white feminists, because I don't know what else to call these folks who were so Mm -hmm. pro Hillary Clinton that they saw, you know, they were calling Obama an inadequate black male. How is that not as bad as anything that Richard Spencer says? I'm I'm sorry. Are you kidding me with this? You know, and it went so far as even Joan (laughs) Walsh, uh, from, from, uh, is it Salam that she writes for Joan Walsh? I can't remember now, or she's at the nation now, but she wrote this piece mm-hmm. defending, um, <clears throat> that one, a DNC gal in Florida that was like, I'm going to vote for John McCain. Now. I'm proud to be an older American woman. Where are you from? from? New York city, Hillary state, the best nominee that's possible. And the Democrats are throwing the election away. For what? An inadequate black male who would not have been running had it not been a white woman that was running for president. And I'm You've stolen this from white like you just you just listen to this so horrifying. Oh, it's Jesus. so horrifying. Yeah, right? But mm-hmm. it spawned this whole movement in a way that's continued into the race against Bernie Sanders instead of Obama boys, now it's Bernie Bros. And you know, and they tried really hard right. to paint Bernie as a racist like that was their goal and I feel like um I just I don't understand it I I you know I would always say like show me the show me the photo of Hillary Clinton chained to a black woman protesting segregated housing and you'll have my ear but this is fucking ridiculous <laughs> yeah what well, it's fine to be with the whole like what I find about the entire like oh Bernie is racist thing is that a lot of it is um his missteps, which he has, oh, fair. Yes, but it's absolutely. interesting to me that people didn't really know who he was before the election. Totally. Cause like there is footage of Bernie Sanders in like 2002 speaking at high schools about systemic racism and police brutality. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, so. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, and you know, when the, 
the now infamous Clinton crime bill came down. Bernie's like, I don't want to sign it, but Violence Against Women is, Act is in here, so yeah. I feel like my hands are tied. I don't really have a choice, but like, basically, he's like, but basically, this is bullshit. Yeah. So, you know, he's more aware than he gets credit for, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's certainly more aware than the vast majority of everybody else who's uh, at that uh, in office at that level, for sure. Yeah. But My father's, uh, virtually my father's entire family uh, was murdered by Hitler when they were living in Poland, and I have very strong feelings about anti-Catholicism or gay bashing or bigotry in general. My concern lies, among other things, that when we have people like David Duke, a former Nazi, when we have all kinds of people in the United States ranting and raving about sending blacks back to Africa, or all kinds of absurd bigotry, I do not see resolutions coming down on the floor of the House. There you know, he's not perfect, um, but he's definitely know. more woke, which is what I, I don't get. You know, and I could understand if people were criticizing his missteps, and you're right, he's, I don't agree with Bernie on everything, but he is definitely more aware than Hillary Clinton has ever been about race issues. So when I see a person <laughs> saying this stuff, I just kind of go, you're kidding me, right? Like I, you speaking of the crime bill, I had one of them that I remember having a conversation with on Twitter, basically arguing, you know, pro Hillary Clinton stuff while saying Bernie signed the crime bill. I'm like, you do realize that was Bill Clinton's bill, right? <laughs> right. And Joe what? Biden wrote it. Like we, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So I, it's just like, seriously, right. Are you kidding me with this right now? Because <laughs> How do, I mean, do they not okay. Somebody, someone on Twitter was mad at me the other day because I was like, I think Bernie has a pretty good record with the NRA because it's a D minus, and they're like, anything yeah. above an F is questionable. I was like, it's a D minus. Right? Wait, and these are the same people that say, but we vote for real Dems, not fake Dems, like Bernie. And there's seven Democrats that have A ratings from the NRA. I want these folks to tell me how those A ratings are okay then because they're real Dems. You know what I'm saying? The hypocrisy is astonishing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, um, uh, what the fuck was it? I think it was Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Maybe I made a thread because I, cause you know, like we do news on the podcast and I just yes. came across this like wild story about how they wouldn't, um, how the party, like the state party wouldn't, um, give endorsements to a bunch of women who were running. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going down this like rabbit hole for two weeks. And I made it, I actually had to delete most of the Twitter thread because people reported it. Cause they were so mad. Cause like, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Rhode Island. And it was like this last election cycle where literally um, the dude they endorsed had um, been arrested for like drunk driving, but he oh killed someone because oh he was God. driving drunk, um, got like acquitted, had a couple more DUIs. Wow. And then was like charged with like aiding and abetting felons, and, wow. and like that's the guy they endorsed. Holy that's shit. the guy. That's the guy. And then another, and then Amazing. another guy they, yeah, another guy they endorsed. He's like the state speaker. He is anti-abortion, and they asked him yeah, to, that. um, you know, make specific. Yeah, and he was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going right? to make sure abortion remains safe on a state level. Oh and then another guy was accused of rape. He was he was actually Amazing. charged with rape. And they endorsed him. And I'm yeah, like, but he's a real dem, so and the, it's okay. The only, <laughs> yeah, against a progressive, against a progressive woman. I was like, how wow. is this your party? No, it's, and of course, Democrats you know, I'm an asshole. Mess. And I, I, 
Yeah, and I don't forget things, but I like to remind everybody that Kim Davis, the woman who got arrested mm-hmm. for not giving gay couples marriage certificates, ran as a Democrat and won. She ran Just as a saying. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> say no more. There Kentucky clerk Kim Davis, who was briefly jailed for refusing to issue marriage licenses to gay couples, said Friday that she and her family had switched to the Republican Party because the Democrats no longer represented them. Davis said she had been a Democrat all my life, but felt the party had departed from her beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, we have yeah. this great progressive running in Berkeley, Javonka Buckley. California is the fifth largest economy in the world. But for working families, living here gets harder all the time. Student debt is skyrocketing. Insurance covers less and rents keep going up. I'm in front of Mrs. Lila Madison's home uh, that Wells Fargo is evicting. Now they gonna just take the house, throw my stuff out, and put me out there. My name is Javanka Beckles. I'm a mental health professional, a union member, and an immigrant. For the past eight years on the Richmond City Council, I've been part of a movement to fight corporate greed. We rejected corporate campaign donations and achieved victories for working people. We banned the box, one rent control, and a $15 minimum wage. When working people come together, we can take back real control of our lives and a greater share of the wealth that we ourselves create. California needs a single-payer, Medicare-for-all healthcare system. We need strong rent control laws and homes for all. And we need high-quality, free public education from preschool to college. Good health care, housing, and education should be rights, not privileges that only a few can afford. I'm not just asking for your vote. I'm asking you to join a movement. Because together, we can build a California that puts people over profit. Vote for Javanka Beckles for California Assembly District 15 on November 6th. Who the the establishment went after hard? Black progressive women who you know mm-hmm. supported Medicare for all, you know all of these things. But the the bankster candidate that they supported, you know, instead, mm-hmm. you know, I have to imagine that the Democrats aren't fit to fight because they continue to to side with corporate donors over progressives. And I just I worry because I don't think unless they change their viewpoint, I don't think they're going to really start um, winning back elections, winning back seats. And I worry that we look at another four more years of Trump, which is just like, I don't think I can take another four, four more years of Trump. But if they run another Hillary oh. Clinton candidate, we're fucked. Yeah. Um, I've just come to the conclusion that we're just going to have four more years of Trump because they can't get their shit together. And like, that's just what it's going to be. Um, I laugh because like, I'm honest, like, honestly, No, I hear you. Girl, I hear you. It seems no, no, this because this is the thing, though, is, like, people don't realize that this fucking, like, centrist corporate bullshit always is going to lead to a Trump. Because as mm-hmm. long as you're putting corporate profits over people, 
people, like the average person is just going to flock to whoever has the most populist sounding policy, right? Because mm-hmm. like a lot, we have to, we forget like, yeah, I, yeah, I think Trump is racist. I think his supporters are racist. I also know a bunch of them voted for Obama because Obama was spitting that populist shit. Yeah. Obviously none of it came to be, Yeah, but right. that's, you know, that You're was right. what he was running on mm-hmm. and people like, that's what they want, you know? And so then Hillary was like, Shh, fuck $15 an hour. You're not getting it. Shut up. Yeah. You know, yeah. people were like, all right, well, all right, let's go for the drain the swamp guy, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. He made promises. We did offer a left exit to the financial problems in the country. The income inequality is so severe at this point. It's worse now than it was in the 20s. And running another bank mm-hmm. candidate who folks knew well enough, had a record in this area, was just the worst idea ever. I agree with you. And they listened to Trump's, I mean, 9% of registered Democrats voted for Trump. And and I think that says something. You're right. A lot of Obama voters voted for Trump because he made an appeal to the financial problems and they didn't care about the other stuff. Now, granted, all that was bullshit. Right. However, it was effective. And we didn't provide a left exit. That's the problem. We gave them more neoliberalism. And it was- Exactly. Yeah, I remember the day Bernie Sanders uh, lost the primary. I actually- said tweeted that uh trump's going to be our next president boy did i get dragged (laughs) yeah you know i said that on the podcast and people were upset with me i said something like uh that the democratic party was basically going to become uh you know like the alter version of the gop Mm -hmm. um where they were just going to get super wrapped up in the echo chamber it was going to be nothing but like conspiracies propaganda just nonstop, and you know very cultish and that's Mm-hmm. exactly where we are and it's just exactly. it's not it's not working it's not working 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, so i wanted to ask you about hoteps because i i um i really think <laughs> white folks need to learn a little bit about this because i know and i know it's an area of confusion it was for me until i had my friend heba explain it uh, so basically mm-hmm. uh, if you've encountered a hotep and you're, you're going to find this very confusing if you don't understand <laughs> it because they're <laughs> you're laughing right because they're super misogynistic and they're super anti-gay uh, folk. Like, they're just uh, very homophobic. Mm-hmm. But basically, the mm-hmm. idea is, is they want to replace a white patriarchal system with a black patriarchal system, which is why they're so misogynistic. Um, so I came across this movement when I had <clears throat> uh, two of my black girlfriends dragged by this guy in a really horrific way. And they were calling mm-hmm. her... Uh, both of them really bed wenches, which is just so mm-hmm. foul. I mean, the, the implication that white that that white masters weren't raping, raping, full on raping their black slaves is just just incredibly disgusting to me. But that's really the implication that they were making. So I wanted to ask you, um, past the obvious funny parts of this, how did this movement get started? Uh-huh. What's the history of it? And um, what's the best way to deal with these guys? Because on a certain level, I want to defend my black girlfriends, but on a secondary level, the minute I did that, they got dragged harder because I was the white chick coming in to save them sort of a thing. And then on top of it, right. they were very, um, this was the most upsetting part actually, is they were very dismissive of my two black girlfriends and wanting to talk to me now and mm-hmm. not them, which is even more offensive. I was just like, what the hell's going on now? Like, why are you, if Mm -hmm. you're you're pro-blackness, why are you going to dismiss your sisters and then focus on me? That's some fucked up shit right there. Right? Yeah. Right. So, (laughs) all right, I guess, oh man, all right, there's a lot lot going on. Um, Okay, so I guess, like, I will just point out that, like, 
black conservatives are a thing. And I don't mean politically conservative, like, like fucking Candace Owens or Ben Carson. I don't mean like that. I mean like conservative ideology, right? Mm-hmm. A man has a place, a woman has a place, being gay is unnatural, blah, 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 blah. Right. And a lot of them, I would also point out, are not necessarily Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are more like spiritual, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. But that is definitely a huge thing. Um, so toe taps are actually like a subset of that in particular. Okay. Um, ho taps tend to be hyper focused on Egypt, um, yeah. hyper focused on like conspiracy theories yeah. of like white people taught us how to be gay during slavery. There was no gay people in Africa wait, wait, wait. before white people existed. <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. I had not read that. Okay, that's yeah. I'm, I'm totally serious. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cause like, so like, okay. So like, I guess it's like you were to make a parallel to like white conservatives, right? You yeah. have like, um, you know, like the tea party and, you know, blah, blah, and like the super the homophobia, the misogyny, blah, blah. But then you have like the Alex Jones mm-hmm. conspiracy guys. Yeah. Those are like the hoteps of the black conservatives. <laughs> yeah. So like there's literally, there's like conspiracy theories, like, um, they're putting stuff in the water to make men gay. Um, there, there really is a gay agenda and it's for like depopulation control of the black community. Like, um, fucking black people were here in America before white people were and we taught native people their culture like it like it's wild with the conspiracy there's like a lot happening um yeah and then like they get in yeah then they get into like weird like pseudoscience medical shit like um like black it's not natural for black women to have periods wait what (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, black women aren't supposed to have periods. Um, like everybody in Africa was vegan before white people showed up. What? Like I don't, I Wait, yeah, hang on, it's fucking. Why? What? Yeah. What? How could you reproduce without a period? I'm so confused. Because black women are better than white women, and because they're more in tune with nature or something, you don't have a menstrual flow because a menstrual flow is a menstrual flow is waste coming out of the body. If you're like a true African vegan woke sister, (laughs) goddess queen, you don't have waste coming out of your body. So you don't need to have a period. Maybe you can occasionally spot, but you don't actually have like a real period. That's like a white woman thing, which also apparently only black women and white women are the only people who exist in the world. Like there's no like Asians or right. native, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so like, that's like the thing. So like, yeah. So like when it comes to like, yeah, when it comes to this, like, and I, I just want to say, I'm not speaking like politically like GOP Democrat, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. in general, conservative ideology, black people, Hoteps are like the Alex Jones of the black conservatives. Like they're the Alex Jones fans. Like they're like the fucking QAnon people of black conservatives. Like really. Um, So of course, because they are so conservative and they have all these ideas of what a black person should be, they obviously hate um, interracial dating and race mixing and, you know, that sort of thing. So they are particularly vicious to black women who date outside of their race because this is the thing is you can go, and a lot of black conservatives too, not specifically just hookups, but a lot of them, you'll see them calling um, black women bed wenches, yeah, but you very true. rarely see them call black men, but they don't call black men bed bucks. Yeah. And that's just because it's about yeah. misogyny. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I just, of course. Of course. <laughs> Everything. That's wild. Okay, so I didn't know they were so into the conspiracy theories. That's fresh information. I just thought yeah. it was just about the patriarchal yeah. thing. And I just... It's don't, not just the patriarchal. 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, it's not just a patriarchy, but yeah, it's a lot of, uh, and like, that's the hoteps specifically because they're obsessed with like ancient Egypt and mm-hmm. the white man has erased our history. And it's just like, we aren't even from Egypt. If you are African-American, you're probably West African, like just fucking Ghana is cool too. fucking right. stop it. Okay. So here's, here's <laughs> the best part of that Phoenix is that the entire human population originated from Africa, including white people. <laughs> so you can't tell them that like no right. no there's so um they share common ground no. with the freaking white supremacist then because you can't tell a white supremacist no, they, that either <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's wild. a lot there's actually a lot of there's actually a lot of places that they overlap and that periodically they work together oh jesus <laughs> yeah yeah because they're both like they're, because see this is the thing is you have to realize they both have a very um specific idealized society and they're essentially the same society the only difference is the race factor but it's like if you um because like this is the thing if you're uh, you know gay and you're getting jumped by you know if you're black and gay and you're getting jumped by like neo-nazis they're not gonna fucking help you because you're like a race traitor but like conversely it could be these guys if they were attacking you know a white person who had and uh, a spouse of another race, like the, you know, your race, it's, it's very, very parallel yeah. in a lot of ways. And it's actually creepy. Yeah. That is a little creepy because <laughs> I don't, I don't see how you can be pro-blackness if you are taking these positions. I sort of flies in the face of what that means, but at the same time, um, God, man, it's almost as if it's almost, it's reminding me a little bit. I, I'm going to digress for a second. It reminds me a little bit of, of how some mm-hmm. of, uh, some of the hard right in Israel does the same thing. So Yair Netanyahu is who is Netanyahu's son was agreeing mm-hmm. and defending Richard Spencer um, last year, and mm-hmm. the reason was because they both believe in ethno states. So on one hand, you're like, well, at least right. they're consistent in their ideals. But on the other hand, you're like, that's really perverse because Richard Spencer hates you and thinks you should be dead. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, no, no, no. He doesn't. He wants a, Richard Spencer wants a peacenik, a peaceful ethnic cleansing. That's totally different. Fuck that even means. Fuck is a peaceful ethnic cleansing. I don't know. But Richard Spencer has just, big ideas. Oh my god. So okay. no, I, I, I use the term peaceful ethnic cleansing actually in a speech, and I was describing the Paris Peace Conference of 1919. Fully ethnically cleansed. My question. Okay. I, also. Well, let me answer that, and then you can ask your next one. I did did not call for peaceful ethnic cleansing. I was describing the Paris Peace Conference of 1919, which is actually an example of peaceful ethnic cleansing. After the First World War, this terrible event, a brother's war that ultimately destroyed our civilization, far more than the World War II, to be honest, uh, there was a a nation-building experiment that took place in Paris in 1919. They knew old nations were reborn, Poland being an example, a nation, a state that did not exist, but a nation that's a people that did exist. New nations like Yugoslavia were created out of whole cloth in a way. Uh, That was an example of nation building, and yes, that was an example of peaceful ethnic cleansing. People, they were, they were, that was defined by nationality and and ethnicity and religion, and yes, the map was redrawn. What happened in the Soviet Union is also an example of that. They were actually a kind of nation building experiment where they would give peoples a, a, you know, a national poet or something like that. Ukraine is an example of a, you know, synthetic nation, to be honest. And it said, and I quote, 
asking how we can make reparations for slavery, colonialism, and apartheid, or how can we equalize academic scores and incomes, we should instead be asking questions like, does human civilization actually need the black race? Is black genocide right? And what is the best way and easiest way to dispose of them? So my last question is how you can stand up there and claim that it is easier to be black because of a stronger sense of ethnic identity and it's a room full of African-American peers, African-American police officers standing out there protecting you when you have things like that written on your mind. That, that piece was not actually at allright.com, that was at alternative right. It was written by Colin Liddell. He was making a rhetorical point that I, I don't know what to say. I mean, take it up with him. He's just horrible. Um, I can't with Richard Spencer. I, some of the stuff he says, I just, <laughs> I just can't. Um, so is it bad then for white girls to jump in and defend their black sisters in these situations? Or is, does it make it worse? Or is that like in solidarity, in solidarity, good thing to do? Um, well, I mean, I guess you need to understand who you're arguing with. There right. really, in my opinion, isn't a right or a wrong way to do it. Cause this is like, um, you know, again, think, uh, you know, if you were arguing with a white conservative, not necessarily about politics, but about, you know, uh, women's rights or feminism or yeah. abortion rights or, yeah. you know, whatever, like, right, they're going to be like, you're nothing but a blah, 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 you know, and just call you names. Mm -hmm. And if other people come in and defend you, you can't really win either way, right? So if you come in True. and you defend your black friends, they're going to be like, well, obviously you're, you know, your friend is a coon and a bed bunch and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. That's why the, the white people are coming to her aid. But if you don't defend her, then they're going to be like, well, see, white people don't even like you. Why, why do you have all these alleged white man. friends in these photos with you, but they don't come defend you? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can't really, there isn't <laughs> really like, man. in you my opinion, that. a right or a wrong way to do it. Gotcha. Because they yeah, are so sense. wrapped up in their ideology. Yeah, they're, they're so wrapped up in their ideology. They're just not going right. to concede either way, you know? Yeah. So but of course, it's worth noting a lot of, yeah. Okay. yeah. You're, you're either a token yeah. of the white mm -hmm. people or you're a bad wench. It's like, there's no winning. Yeah, oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, you, you can't you can't get around it. You can't get around yeah, it. You can't really yeah. get around it. So you know. yeah, uh, Tariq, Tariq Nasheed is one of the ringleaders. Tariq Nasheed. Yeah. Fucking Tariq Nasheed. Yeah. Hate that guy. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. really um pretty nasty. So this guy, uh, like he's so misogynistic. And when you first come across mm -hmm. some of the things that he says, like this is the, this is the it was his thread that sort of brought attention to this for me. I did not know prior to this, um, what mm -hmm. his whole was about, you know, but some of the stuff he was doing, like he, uh, there is a writer who I very much admire and consider a friend, uh, Brianna, who works mm -hmm. at The Intercept, and he had gone onto her mm -hmm. private Facebook page and had taken private photos of her yeah. and was calling her a bed wench, like sub, not even tagging her in it, just, just doing this. And I was just like, wow, that's mm -hmm. pretty, that's pretty yeah. fucked up, man. <laughs> um, um and then, yeah, you know, I mean, so what's his history? Um, well, okay, first of all, just what he did, like, that's his brand, like, at this that's point. Um, but Tariq Nasheed, people don't understand. Um, so back in the day, Tariq Nasheed used to be a pimp. <laughs> so misogyny is always just going to run deep that's with this brand. guy. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's his brand. Misogyny is his brand. Uh, homophobia is, like, it's literally his brand. Um, and he is, um, he's legitimately funny. He's very charismatic. Um, he's he, he's good on that like street pre preacher hustle type shit. Mm -hmm. So you know he's always going to have a following and <clears throat> is using his rhetoric to 
um, you know, push things. So it started out like he was pimping. And then after that was over, he was writing books. And it was kind of like, um, like pickup artist type stuff of like, this is how you, you know, Mac, this is how you game. And interestingly enough, for as much as he talks about um, black women or bed wenches, a couple of his books were actually, this is how to get a Spanish chick or how to get um, an Asian chick. So it's like, you're sort of telling wow. black men how to have sex with, like, Asian women. Meanwhile, you're like, black women is bed wenches. And it's just like, can you at least have some consistency? So, yeah. So he has, like, it actually, it's wild because those books are still on his website. Like, if you look at his website now, despite, like, all the pro-black stuff, yeah, if you go, like, back to his stuff, you can still find them. Um, so, so, you know, there's true? that. And then he got... He, is it true that his wife is white? Hmm. Like somebody his, said, yeah. His wife is mixed. Okay. His mother-in-law oh, is white. Oh, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which again, again, with the consistency, like, yeah, yeah all right. It's so, like your um, wife's a Becky? yeah, on, dude. <laughs> right. So it's like your mother. So like, but you go, you talk all this pro-black shit, and you, you can't trust white people, and you call. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his term is a suspected race soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, suspected white supremacist probably would have like, but you have Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. every year with a white woman, so I don't really know. Uh, but you know, so you know, there's that with him. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> but so yeah, so then he's writing these books about this is how you get with a Spanish chick or whatever, you know. And then he started um, coming onto Hidden Colors, and that's kind of how he got his come up in pro black circles. With Hidden Colors is allegedly like this documentary series about, um, you know, like the real history of black people and Africans and white supremacy and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. A lot of it is just made up bullshit, right. um, as a lot of things Tariq tends to say are, but you know, and it's also interesting because even as he was promoting that, he was promoting it with like naked women and stuff where he'd like oh be God. posting pictures of like women in bikinis and pools and be like donate that's now to hidden colors. So I was like, I, you know, whatever. but so, so that's how he kind of, yeah. So that's how he popped off. Now he has, um, like a podcast he does you know content creating like that and he has uh latched on to the uh francis crest francis crest welding crowd and the neely fuller neely fuller crowd and these are two black people who existed um (laughs) they are a lot of the originators of this like conservative pro-black thing where it's very Mm -hmm. much like conspiratorial pseudoscientifical it doesn't make any kind of fucking sense we'll be like um like their whole thing is like um they like white people like to watch black people play sports because it's like homoerotic to them (laughs) because sports involve balls going in a hole and i'm like what (laughs) like (laughs) like, okay that's sort of awesome it's like yeah it's like and they're like, and if you oh, look shit. at the different sports, what are the differences? Holy Baseball shit. is a small white ball. Golf is a small white ball. Basketball <laughs> is a big brown ball. It's like, stop it. Oh, my God. That's but, you hysterical. Know, um, that is too it, funny. Oh, man. Yeah, and stuff like, um, you know, like single, yeah, like single mothers are rooting the community because they teach men to be effeminate, you know, um, mm. So like, um, like put, you know, um, stuff like that. So it's like, I mean, the traditional homophobia, the misogyny, somehow everything that has ever happened negative to black people is black women's fault, um, because they're aiding and abetting white supremacy in some way. So, you know, so that, so Tariq Nasheed has latched onto that crowd. So I wouldn't say his homophobia or misogyny has gotten worse over time, but it has sort of like cultivated, I guess, or like, um, just uh, kind of shifted a little bit in different ways. So yeah, he's still a misogynist, still a homophobe, still all that. 
And um, yeah, so that's his crowd now is the the Neely Fuller Francis Welding crowd. Um, yeah, and doing his you know little hustle and his big thing now is basically he pretends to um, expose white supremacy by just being trash to black women, really, where he you know like going onto Bree's uh, thing and finding her pictures and stuff like that. So yeah. Or he um, just looks at things, black female celebrities saying like, this is why it's bed wrenching or this is why it's negative. And, you know, and then of course the pseudo the spirituality of it or whatever, he's now trying to appropriate various aspects of voodoo, which is like uh, very frustrating in its own way. It's frustrating because a lot of African traditional religions have, a lot more leniency towards the LGBT community and towards women in leadership positions than like, you know, uh, more like Abrahamic religions and whatnot. So it's very disappointing to see him appropriating aspects of voodoo when that has traditionally been maintained by a lot of women and LGBTQ folks. But, you know, he's saying shit now, like, like he's, like he said, like, um, the water in Flint is messed up because white women are, um, you know, sleeping around too much. So white people are poisoning the water. And then he said, like, the, um, like fracking earthquakes are actually the ancestors being angry because white women are thoughts. Or, I'm sorry, black women are thoughts. So, like, it, yeah. And now, like, recently the, um, the California wildfires are the result of Ogun, which is a voodoo deity of metalworking and iron. But so somehow Ogun is causing fires. I don't really know. It doesn't have to make sense. Um, but... But so, yeah. So, like, yeah. So now voodoo deities are... Yeah. It's... Yeah. People just... Yeah, whatever. I mean, that is some wild stuff. So I didn't, yeah, it's interesting to hear that all of this other stuff is attached to that. I just thought it was some sort of patriarchal yeah. crap. Um, yeah, there's, so, there's a lot. There's a lot. But this is stuff that, uh, you know, it's, you're right. Alex Jones is the perfect way to describe that mentality because it's exactly that, except it's just uh, coming from somebody that, that is a, a black patriarch as opposed to a white patriarch. Yeah. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes, some, makes for some wild conversation, I tell you. So there is a book I wanted yes. to, uh, yeah, right. I wanted to talk about um, a book called Racecraft for a minute that's been sort of being talked about mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, Karen and Barbara Fields are sisters that wrote this book. But they're basically making mm-hmm. the argument that the practice of racism produces the illusion of race. So this is something um, that kind of takes you a second, right? You're like, wait, because it's, it's very counterintuitive. Okay. So she also believes that the phenomena is intertwined with other forms of inequality. So a lot of the class issues mm-hmm. um, and the economic issues that we were discussing earlier. So this idea mm-hmm. that um, I don't know that she's saying racism it, it, it didn't exist before race. But if you look at the history of race, you know, I wrote I wrote my thesis paper on scientific racism it really is an 18th century biological taxa. It's a, it's something that came to birth during mm-hmm. the 18th century. And, it, and I think that there was probably racism before the concept of race for this reason. I think people still wanted to put people into boxes and probably had various prejudices. I think that's undoubtedly true and will always be the case. Uh, but this, right. this particular thing was designed... Um, <clears throat> was more or less designed, as far as I'm concerned, to justify slavery and colonialism because folks back then were deeply religious and the idea of enslaving another human being was was an immoral thing to do so they sort of had they sort of had Mm -hmm. to find a way 
to justify what they were doing. And if black folks were on a hierarchy scale that was less than, it sort of justified it in a roundabout way. And I also feel like <clears throat> the interesting thing was that Charles Darwin at that time was making the argument that 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 there was no hierarchy that it was a spread of excellence. Right. So even back then you had like an actual mm-hmm. scientist saying, well, that's some bullshit right there. <laughs> More or less. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Forward to Barbara Fields makes this case. And I think it really is counterintuitive and it sort of takes you a moment, but then you start to digest what she's getting at. And I think she, I think a lot of the book is, is discussing um, triaging the economic issues for this reason. She's basically saying, you're never going to get rid of racism. It's going to be there. We can't fix what's in people's heads. But we can do something about right. these other things. And that's what we should be focusing mm-hmm. on. So uh, what do you think on that? Um, well, I guess I would just say, like, uh, based on race in America, that it's very – race and racism is far more fluid than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, I know the Irish were not slaves, but, yeah. you know, certainly Irish people were not accepted when they came here, mm-hmm. Italians, Germans, and so forth. But, like, ultimately, the goal of racism in America has been if you participate in anti-blackness, we will eventually accept you into whiteness. That's right. Because, again, the obsession with the binary. Yeah. You no, know? There but is a, you I know just think right. that, um, That's you know, actually yeah. a really good point, yeah. Phoenix. That's a good point. I think you're right. So, yeah, and I think, so, you know, I think that, yeah, racism to a certain extent is more fluid than we realize, but, um, you know, that easily, when you are obsessed with, we have to have a binary and it has to be black or white and you can't have an in-between or you have to pick one side, it becomes really easy to start doing the pseudoscience. It starts becoming really easy to be like, oh, well, you know, here's this thing that's totally not universal, hasn't been laboratory tested, but let's just run with it, you know, you know, that sort of thing. And. You know, yeah, it definitely creates bias, absolutely creates biases, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can't, but again, you know, like I said earlier, I think part of the reason racism is so hard to combat is with those biases is because you never really have a chance to unlearn them. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you can read a textbook or read a study about certain things, but if you've never lived within a black community, you don't really know what's going on there. You know, you don't know what uh, is happening. And I think that makes it difficult. And that is part of the reason that we do have to focus on, um, you know, triaging things and focusing on harm reduction. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we can educate people all day long about, um, you know, how racism is bad or how bias is bad or, you know, white privilege. But at the end of the day, if you still hold on to those biases because you've never had an actual opportunity to interact with black people to counteract them, then that might not go anywhere. Mm-hmm. However, economic equality may go somewhere, you know, access right. to medical care, food and housing will definitely go somewhere. So yeah, you know, it, it, it seems to fit into harm reduction a little bit for me, I think. I agree. I, I concur with the harm reduction. I think that's um, a really good goal. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> also you have to sort of get into the the weeds on how we define race uh, on a certain level, because mm-hmm. even though it began as a biological tax set, we've now decoded the human genome and we know that race literally does not exist. There's no such, we, 85% right. of the genome's the same. Mm-hmm. The 15% admixture that is different is based on isolated breeding populations, which has absolutely nothing to do with race mm-hmm. whatsoever. So we can right. acquiesce through that. And, but yet there's still that sort of cultural argument that can be made, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And which is sort of what you're talking about. If you haven't lived within the black community, you really don't know. You don't know what the daily struggles are. It's impossible to know this. 
Right. And, and there's a reason mm-hmm. that communities form, you know, this idea is that we coalesce around um, beliefs and ideologies, not necessarily superficial or phenotypical types like skin color, et cetera, which, you know, there can still be mm-hmm. a definition that, that works. And, <clears throat> right. and I really believe at the end of the day, you, you still have a, a, a small portion of white supremacists that, that are wanting to measure skulls and what have you, which is like, <laughs> Just, oh yeah which just makes me weird like, laugh. really just, weird yeah just stupid <laughs> shit right they're they're out there or they want to mm-hmm. they want to say that i there's a thing called iq and that's it's got some sort of uh linkage to skin color which is just fucking stupid okay. but they're, they're they, they exist mm-hmm. i think that's a, a, a smaller portion of what we're seeing which is why you see these guys making the case now for a white nationalism white culture like whatever the fuck that means i mean really because swedish people and right. people have the same culture of course they don't i mean it's like come on that's, that's right. meaningless but it's their way of mm-hmm. sort of combating that um, that loss of space, the science space. So, uh, so the illusion of race, which is yeah. how she refers to it. Here's my thing: you can believe mm-hmm. in, a, in an illusion, you can believe in a myth, something that's not necessarily true, and believing in that myth can mm-hmm. cause harm. It doesn't mean that the myth is now true; it's still false. But the actual harm belief right. in that myth has caused is very much real. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Like the race is a social construct, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's socially constructed, but it's right. um, physically, you know, right. physically detrimental. Yes. Yeah. So I can say to somebody, absolutely. look, race yeah. doesn't exist. It's a biologically vacuous term. It's really meaningless at this point. However, however, mm-hmm. we have constructed all of these things on this belief um, and we should absolutely mm-hmm. do something to fix the harm that's caused. I don't see how that's yeah. problematic. You know what I'm saying? So on that note, I wanted to ask you, Phoenix, do you believe in reparations? I, I love to have this conversation with as many folks as possible because I find that the opinion on this is all over the map. I, um, I personally do. And I'm actually often surprised to see that a lot of black folks don't and they have various reasons. And I'm always wanting to hear those reasons uh, because it does open my viewpoint mm-hmm. on this. So what is what is your beliefs in this area? Uh, well, I guess the first thing would be we need a set definitions of what reparations mean mm-hmm. and what it is. Okay, fair. And what constitutes reparations. Um, so, you know, there's that. Now, um, there is, of course, if we're talking about just giving black people land, then that becomes an issue when it comes to indigenous sovereignty and indigenous land, because, right, like it is, mm-hmm. you know, native people's land, right? right. You know, but um, when it comes, you know, but trying to make that, um, Cause I guess like that's like, if, cause a lot of people say, well, give black people land and houses. I think that's something that bothers me um, because it ignores native people's voice in that. And it's like, so basically it's white people being like, Hey, we stole some shit from someone else. You want it? <laughs> you know, like, um, now when it, yeah. But now when it comes to like economic reparations, like, yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize how slavery has led them to what we have now and how it led America to being an economic powerhouse. And I think that black people should um, be able to receive a certain amount of preparations for that because, you know, in that aspect, we very much built the country, you know, we very much, and I, I mean, physically, economically, like socially, like we built the country. You know, and I do, I don't have a problem with black people um, receiving reparations in that aspect, especially in an economic way. And I think that, um, you know, it's a hard sell because every time a black community does start getting somewhere, there's usually some sort of pushback to it, you know? 
I mean, there's, I believe, a lawsuit right now that, uh, you know, black farmers are suing seed companies because they were sold crappy seeds that, you know, didn't really uh, bring back a harvest. You know, like people talk about even, you know, early 1900s, Black Wall Street, black people got together. They were like, we were going to make our own. And, and they were like, oh, no, bomb it. Let's, let's just let's set it on fire. Kill everybody, you know. And so it's those sort of things. And so it's been historically very difficult for black people to get ahead. And even now, um, it's still difficult for black people to get ahead because of punitive measures. You know, when it comes to like a huge one is um, black hairstylists, right? If you're not licensed, you get fined. And all of a sudden, the state or the county or the city is collecting thousands of dollars in fines because you're not licensed. Like that type of thing makes it incredibly difficult for people to get ahead. So we don't only need like actual money. You know, but we also need a huge shift of policies and laws and away from these punitive measures, you know, Um, you know, those sort of things. Definitely. Yeah, I'm totally for that. I think that would be huge. You make an interesting point about punitive measures, because that sort of thing is so deeply embedded embedded in our society. And a lot of those things uh, might be secondary to folks that aren't affected by them because they just don't think about it. And Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? You know, and it reminds me of what you said earlier about the money bail system. So you're right. A lot of the folks that are, we have, we have criminalized poverty in this country to the point where a lot of the folks that are in jail, they're awaiting trial. They haven't been convicted of anything. They just can't post bail. They just Mm -hmm. don't want the money. How is that acceptable justice? Mm -hmm. It's like, right. Exactly. And, I just have to add, like, because again, you know, I'm very big on the connections and people don't necessarily get connections. It's not just, again, it's not just that like one person is in jail because they can't afford bail. That's one person who's in jail because they can't afford bail, who when they get out, if they're not, you know, if they're not convicted, when they get out, they will not have a job to come back to. And then they're going to have to explain to their next potential employer that they don't have a job because they spent three months in jail for something they didn't get convicted of. You know, that is three months of a breadwinner not being in a household and a kid not having Mm -hmm. um, school supplies and food. That is three months of DCFS or child services you know, whatever your abbreviation is in your state, you know, of child services coming because there's no food. That's a child going to foster care. That is um, getting into debt you will never get out of because you can't make your car payments. You can't, you fall behind on your light bill. You fall behind on um, your heat bill, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's debt you are never going to get out of. That is every time you move, you now have to pay an extra deposit because your heat got cut off because you were in jail for three months. You know, it's, um, you know, all those things. So it's not just like, just being in jail, like waiting for trial. It's, it's yeah. huge. It's it has huge community effect. impacts because you have to realize, right. Cause it's not just like, even if that just happened to one, you know, that's one family, but what if that happens to five families on one block? Shit. You know what I mean? What if that happens to, yeah. um, 10, 10 kids in one school? Yeah. What if that happens to 25 different families um, you know, in one neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, like, you don't have money coming back in the neighborhood for local businesses. You don't have uh, the unemployment rate drops, um, the uh, tax revenue drops, which means the mm-hmm. school funding drops, right. which, you know, means um, that then your school, that not only school funding drops, but then your uh, community funding drops, right? Because there's not as much tax money coming in because people are locked up waiting on trial. So then that's, they start closing your community center. So now your kids don't mm-hmm. have somewhere safe to be after school. They start closing down your mental health clinics and your um, doctor clinics. So now people can't access medical care, right? It's like one thing after another, after another. And what started off is a couple people sitting in jail is now an entire community has been devastated and people don't really like make that connection to it, you know, but because again, you have to be in the community to directly watch how the community in and of itself is being impacted by these kinds of things. That's right. 
you know, and, and, you know, the secondary part of that too is, is the rate at which black folks are incarcerated. You know, there are oftentimes situations mm-hmm. in which a white person would just be reprimanded and let go where the black guys right. are arrested. I mean, you can't tell me that that's not going on because it's really obvious that it is. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I also have the realization that, you know, we, we see a lot more of that now with our cell phones, et cetera, which has been a really good way to document things that we just didn't see before. But I don't think, you know, like some people want to say that there's been some sort of uh, resurgence in this stuff. I don't think there has been. I think this has been consistently something that's been going on in the country. And um, we're just becoming more aware of it now because it's being, you know, shown across the board on social media. So, you know, like I was for for speeding last week and I was let off with a warning. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. tell me that isn't because I'm a white chick. I know it is. So, right, right. Mm-hmm. Come on, like, come on. Just if you, I, my point is this: is if white folk can't admit to this very obvious thing, then there's really nowhere to go with the discussion to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of opinions about that topic. I have tried to be slightly more patient as I've gotten older, yeah. um, which really has opened my eyes to the segregation aspects of you know, communities and demographics, because I have seen things that, you know, I, again, because white people are not privy to these conversations because white people don't believe us. And then, you know, by the time white people finally hear it, they're like, what? That's something really crazy, yeah. you know? But yeah. it's like, um, you know, uh, you know, my husband, he's a black man. He's from the West Coast. He was, you know, uh, from the West Coast in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And there was a police officer that did drive. He got shot at by cops outside Holy of the church. Shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, we have yeah. Anybody just, that thinks you know, we have racism on the West Coast is completely deluding themselves. We do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, do. absolutely. You know what I mean? And yeah. and it's like so. You know, he told me that, and I wasn't like that. What? That's, and I was like, yeah. man, like you know. And then we, but then the thing is, we spent the next half an hour swapping stories about police brutality from what we had seen from where we were to what we had heard about from other friends and other family members, yeah. and it wasn't like that incredulous. Like white people really like. Are you serious? I that know, really? Like no? Know. Like are you lying? Like are you over exaggerating to me? Like no, it happens all the time, you know. Yeah, and like I've talked about, I'm from Chicago. We have yeah. a we have a huge police brutality problem. Um, you know, I've been jacked up by cops when I was, mm-hmm. you know, there was a point in time when I was younger. I was doing street based sex work. I used to get raped yeah. by cops all the time. Oh, you know, and like that sort of thing. So it's like I'm not, you know, phased by hearing these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I went down to Ferguson when that was going on, and people, you know. Uh, the local black people were much more welcoming to me than they were to white folks, which is obvious because they're like, oh, you're black, you're from Chicago, you know. And then they start telling all these stories about like, you know, police just come in the neighborhood and, you know, they accuse teenage girls of being truant. So then they just arrest them and put them in a squad car so they could just grope them, you know. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So it's like, you know, so for like, I'm not like, phase when I hear about police brutality. Like yeah. to me, it's always been ever present in my head and in, in my experiences, you know, so yeah. like I, I, I'm trying to kind of be patient a little bit with white folks right now. Cause I think they're having like a culture shock. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause well, like no, I thought Eric Garner were. murdered on film and I was like, of course they did, you know, they, they weren't exposed. Yeah, before. But, and you know, I really believe there's a big difference between the unwoke white folks and the racist because the first group is yeah. just painfully unaware of, what's around them, but they can mm-hmm. learn and they yeah. can have their minds open and they can make a difference. These are the folks we need to have conversations with, in my opinion, because, 
they're the folks that we need to turn into allies because without them, we can't make any real fundamental changes in policy in this country. And we clearly Mm -hmm. need to make changes in policy. Um, You know, I just, you know, like, let's talk about the city of LA for a second. We have a very violent police department Mm -hmm. and I just don't understand why so much of what happens here does not get discussed or reported. Uh, I, I don't understand that. So we have uh, an interesting situation where um, about a year and a half ago, there was a uh, pl- police officer that shot and killed a black man. It was murder, shot him in the mm-hmm. back. There was no way that this was not murder. And even Charlie mm-hmm. Beck, our freaking Charlie Beck was even saying the same thing. This guy should be prosecuted. So, you know, it's bad when mm-hmm. the guy in charge, the white guy right. in charge of the police department is saying so the DA at the time was a black woman and she actually refused to prosecute the cop. So you could just imagine mm-hmm. the blow up that happened here locally. And of course, I don't know. I don't believe this, this ever made any news across the country, but it should have. I still, right. so why, and you know why what, did this though? DA refuse to prosecute? Like she was like, if you heard her um, reasoning, it was just like the stuff that you hear from the white DAs in Ferguson. And you're like, wow, Really? New video tonight of a deadly LAPD shooting in Venice. LAPD Chief Charlie Beck ruled the officer messed up and wanted him put on trial. Today, almost three years after the controversial shooting, that decision was made. That shooting set off a string of protests. CBS 2's Randy Page is live with details on the controversial decision. Randy. Well, today, DA Jackie Lacey decided the officer here, Clifford Proctor, should not receive any criminal charges. This is an officer-involved shooting back in May of 2015 in Venice, just a little bit before midnight. It was a hot summer night when police were called on reports of a man who was bothering people outside of a Venice bar. My dog, The legal issue is a narrow one. Did LAPD officer Clifford Proctor, who's now no longer on the force, have a reasonable belief that Brendan Glenn posed an imminent threat of great bodily injury to himself or to others? District Attorney Jackie Lacey concluded yes, so no criminal charges will be filed against the former officer. Today, the DA released this video, which captured some of the interaction between the officers and the 29-year-old man. All of a sudden, he's turn my back. Officer Jonathan Kawahara captured this video on his body-worn camera as he and his partner Clifford Proctor first approached Glenn. The officers told him to grab his belongings and go, and he appeared to comply. A few minutes later, a security camera captured Glenn as he approached people outside of a nearby bar where witnesses told DA investigators Glenn began yelling racial epithets and arguing with people. That's when the two officers returned. If you look very closely at the video, it appears that the officers were losing control of him. So in that situation where you have um, guns readily available, to a struggling suspect who is under the influence, belligerent, uh, it is not unreasonable, it's not much of a leap to realize that the officer shot him because he believes that there was some threat of danger or harm. Police Chief Charlie Beck looked at the same evidence and came to the opposite conclusion, that former officer Clifford Proctor committed manslaughter when he took the life of Brendan Glenn. He unreasonably believed that his life was in danger and therefore he uh, took a life. And today, the attorney representing Brendan Glenn's family offered this. We achieved justice in the civil justice system when the city of Los Angeles compensated my clients by paying them the substantial sum of $4 million. But true justice can only come through the criminal justice system when a life is taken.
So now three different elements in the criminal justice system have now spoken. The LAPD has kicked Proctor off the force. The civil system has provided Glenn's family with $4 million. And the L.A. District Attorney has decided no criminal charges will be filed against the officer. Let's go back to you. How is this a thing? Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. I shouldn't be shocked by that, but I was deeply shocked by it. That's, that's the white person talking you right know, now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, yeah, no, I think, though, I think a factor with that, too, though, is because it is so universal. People don't know because they're so, like, maybe hyper-focused on what's happening. Because I can guarantee, while that was happening there, we had um, a police officer who shot Laquan McDonald, MP2 clips right. into him, and they couldn't get him fired. Like, like, so that's what I was watching while yeah. you were watching that. And right. someone in New York was watching some other shit. And someone oh, in Baltimore was watching, you know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, because it, it's there such is. a, it's such a, yeah, such a constant thing. And it's like, you know, mm. I think so, people, there's also a very deep love of like military and police in this country. But yeah. it's only a few bad apples. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, exactly. but I, I think honestly, if you know, I, I know white people and rap music, but I would highly encourage white people to start listening to rappers because rappers yeah. have been trying to tell y'all about police brutality. Like, you know, NWA, fuck the police, fuck which the, people only know because of the chorus. Yeah, yeah, right, because of the chorus. That's what came out with like 88, 89. Yeah, but look, literally, if you listen to I the saw, lyrics, he was talking about Phoenix, the, I saw fuck the police NWA coming straight from the underground. In yeah. When I, in, in the uh, early. Yeah. <laughs> Those were right. So yeah, nice. can you imagine NW pay, playing to a yeah. group of white kids all like, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Kid you not. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, yeah, but it's just wild because people are like, oh, you you hear the you know you hear the court you hear the hook or whatever, but it's like if you actually listen to the words, it's talking yeah. about police beating them. That's right. For just right. like walking down the street, you know? and it's because that was the thing. But then you have to remember what, what Rodney King was ninety two. Yeah, I yeah. think I was in right? college. But yeah. like those. But if you would have been listening to NWA talk about police was having in 1989, Rodney King in 1992 should not have been a surprise, right? That's because right. you saw it coming, That's you know, right. and, and so it's like, it, you know, yeah, but people, um, I don't know. I would hope that now that we have social media, people will take advantage of the access that they have, right? I because, so. you know, maybe in the 80s, it was harder. Even in the early 90s, it was harder to be like, oh, what are, what are police doing in, you know, Baltimore right now? Now we can find out instantaneously. And I just really hope people start to take advantage of that. Yeah, because here we are 35, 40 years on and, and what has changed? Absolutely fucking nothing, which is, it, how is this possible? 40 years and we can't improve this? Nope. <laughs> and, you know, but you, have to, but you have to recognize that there's a problem before you improve it. You have to be able to diagnose the disease. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the symptoms and then you can you know, get around to curing the problem. And a lot of people just, um, it makes them very uncomfortable to yeah. know that this is what they've been living under this whole time. Yeah. It's very frustrating. So your tagline, which I just love is social justice for adults. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Such yes. A great line. <laughs> so how did you come up Thank with that you. line? Um, Essentially because we got tired of doing these little bullshit social media beefs with people. <laughs> like, what? You're wrong and you're stupid. And you're right, I'm like, right. you know what? I'm not doing this. We are we are adults and we're having a conversation about mm -hmm. real issues, you know. Like I don't have time for um, you know, this nonsense. And even you know, I know someone's gonna hear this and get mad, but like, oh of the course. cross reductionist thing. Right. I'm like, I don't I don't I don't have time like, you know what? A lot of 
the black people I saw talking about, some of the black people I saw talking about it, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. It was some, like, niggas talking about nigga shit and a bunch of non-niggas got involved and it just went downhill. Like, if someone's talking about nigga shit and you ain't a nigga, and I just want to be clear, nigga is non-binary, nigga isn't even, Nigga, it's not even inherently, it's not even inherently black. But if right. you ain't a nigga, stay the fuck out of nigga shit. I agree. And a lot of people just couldn't, and it just, it just went downhill from there. But it's like, you know, I like, I'm not doing this like petty back and forth, like, but what about, I said what I said. If you don't like what I said, keep it moving, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of how like the social justice went up. Cause like we are talking about, you know, if you listen to our podcast, we're talking about like sex workers' rights. We're talking about right. LGBTQ rights. We're talking about trans women getting killed. We're talking about poverty. We're talking about police brutality. We're talking about racism. We're talking about, um, and you know, uh, environmental issues. Like we're talking about, like we don't talk about like top bullshit. Like I don't know what whoever won a Golden Globe. They had one of those, an Emmy or something. Had one of those. I don't know. Okay, oh, right. I don't know. It's nor do I care. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not. That's not what my focus is on. Like, if you want to be entertained with pop culture or know what they're doing on love and hip hop, there's places that do that. What yeah. we do is talk about real shit. Yeah. That's what we do. Because, and, you know, it's also like a part of who we are and the aspect that, you know, uh, you know, my husband is my co-host and, you know, we both came up through foster care. You know, we've been through some serious, like life situations. Like I was homeless. I was doing survival sex work. You know, when he was young, his mother died from AIDS in the early nineties. Um, he had to go then live with his father who was a crack addict, you know, like that's how he spent most of his childhood before he went, before he went to foster care. Mm-hmm. You know, I came up in foster care. It was incredibly difficult. Like, so for us, when we talk about like the personal political, we mean it because, um, you know, police brutality was something that was ever present in our lives. Um, you know, racism, economic inequality, sexism, race culture, those are all things that have been, you know, present in our lives, in our communities, around people around us. So that's what we talk about. Mm-hmm. But I don't have time for this, like, but what about, but what if, like, I'm not, I'm not entertaining that. Like, this is a grown-up conversation. And if you <laughs> don't want to have a grown-up conversation, go sit your ass at the kids' table. That's I'm not right. stopping you. <laughs> like, really. <laughs> This right here is why I love your podcast. I do. It's great stuff. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really excited. We talk about a show. We really do make it funny. It's actually a very entertaining show, despite no, talking is. about dark shit. Even but when yeah, you read no, news articles, it's yeah. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> For real, it's good stuff. So um, one mm. last question I want to ask you, and then I'm, <clears throat> I mm. want to uh, get people your website. It's the Wine Cellar. Wait, what is it again? I forget. WineCellarMedia.com. That's right. Okay. But before we get to that, um, what would be your advice? And I think this is a really important conversation that needs to happen because we do need solidarity. So what is your advice to uh, white leftist allies? Uh, Maybe these are folks that that really want to help and they really do care, but they're just not aware. And maybe they think they're doing the right thing and they're not. Like, so so if you could give them one advice, bit of advice and um no actually go ahead not one if you can give them as much advice as you want (laughs) here's your opportunity so it's this is our dear white people moment how do you get these folks to really um, listen see and be more helpful as far as uh being part of the movement you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um well i guess the first thing to remember is two eyes two ears one mouth right (laughs) say half as much as you ever see or say all right half of what you say can just stop like first of all 
Um, which other people are like, oh, that's so rude. I'm just trying to help. Like, but you can't help until you understand the problem. And you can't understand the problem until you sit and look and listen and learn. Yeah. And honestly, I would follow a range of different voices. You know, there is native Twitter is a thing. There are um, black people on Twitter who rel- constantly talk about racism, about police brutality, about, uh, you know, different types of uh, other, you know, other equality. There's women who talk about women's issues. There's people who talk about trans issues. Start following those voices and just read what they have to say. You can learn a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, from doing that. And I mean, not even just Twitter, but really any social media, you know, if you don't know who to follow, ask someone, hey, how do I learn more about, you know, insert issue? Mm -hmm. Because there's always people who are talking about it, you know, and you need to actually be willing to sit down and listen and hold space for yourself to be uncomfortable because a lot of stuff is going to be uncomfortable, right? right? You know, this is like. And if, but I'm a good person. It's like we, we need to we need to start. I believe what you're saying is true, and I really, really strongly believe we need mm-hmm. to ha- we need to start having those really uncomfortable conversations. They need to happen mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we can't move forward. And I truly believe that there is a desire for solidarity and improvement. And I, but I, I think there is not enough listening going on. I agree with that um, across the board, and I, I've probably been guilty of that in the past as well. It's just, you know, it's, it's hard not to be because, but yeah, I love the, what is that? Two eyes, two, <laughs> two ears and one mouth. Yeah. You have two ears, two eyes and one mouth. That's you should good. see twice as much and hear twice as much as you ever say. That's good. Half of what you say can go. Like, honestly, but you know, it's, and you know, it's nice to but you know, you also have to be prepared for the uncomfortable part, right? Like you need to acknowledge that I might learn some things about myself where I have failed as an ally or haven't been as good as I thought I have. Because this is the thing with privileged versus marginalized groups is as long as you aren't um, like overtly evil, you get to be a good person. Mm -hmm. But to the marginalized community, that is not enough, right? Like, okay, fantastic. You've never worn blackface. You've never, you know, you've never used a racial slur. Congratulations. What have you actually done for the black community? That's right. Like, because this is the thing. And this is, this is like, this is the idea. This is where people start being like, I don't know. You're kind of making me side with Richard Spencer. It's when you point out to them that, Richard Spencer is a minority, right? Um, there's a very vocal group of rabid white supremacists, but they are a minority. Most people support mm-hmm. passive um, racism, right? right? As long as it's not violent, right. like they'll tolerate it. But here's the thing. What's the difference between you and, say, um, someone who is friends with a white supremacist? You'll be like, I would never be friends with a white supremacist. I'm like, that's fine. But are you doing more for the black community than they are? Yeah. Like, what are you actually Fair. doing? Right. Nothing. You know, and that's the, yeah. And that's the part where people will be like, well, you can't just, yeah, you know, um, no. Because like, you know, there's, um, it sticks, sticks out of my head. We were on the podcast, we were doing a news story about a KKK member who got killed by a family. It's a whole other thing. But, um. I was reading interviews from his neighbors and his neighbors were like, yeah, they knew he was in the KKK. He seemed like an okay guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, how the fuck do you mean he seems like an okay guy? Uh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of white liberals would be like, well, I would never be friends with anyone in the KKK. And I'm like, but I bet you've done as much activism for black people as that guy who was friends with the guy in the KKK. Right, right, right. Like, what, what, like, what are you, what are you no, no, no. contributing to Black Lives Matter? What are you 
what are you putting into local black communities? How are you educating yourself? You know, right. what is, what does your action look like? And that's the thing. Well, I'm an ally. I, I sent some hashtags. Ally is a verb. <laughs> the resistance. Yeah. We need, right? Ally is a verb. It requires action. That's we need right. action. And, yeah. you know. I think these folks need to look yeah. up what the word resistance mean. They can start with that because if you, uh, honestly, they all think they're, they're woke and they're sleepwalking a lot of these folks because they really thought, yeah. they really thought black oppression started January 1st, 2017. And it's like, come on, man, really? Yeah. Where have you been? Like, yeah, they really on. did. I, who is it? Who is it? Amy Siskin? Oh God! I think of it. Yeah, yeah. Was like Nazis. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, Nazis have never rushed in public before. I'm like, man, man, I know, right? Right? It's just like, holy shit! Like you read some of this stuff, and you're literally thinking, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, and you know, because like, and then I found out because I guess maybe I was like spoiled because you know I'm from Chicago, but you've seen the Blues Brothers, right? Yes, love the Blues Brothers. So you know the yeah. So you know the scene where they knock the Nazis off the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> white men, white women, a swastika is calling you. The sacred and ancient symbol of your race since the beginning of time. The Jew is using the black as muscle against you. And you are left there helpless. Well, what are they going to do about it, Whitey? Just sit there? Of course not. You are going to join with us, the members of the American Socialist White People's Party, an organization of decent, law-abiding white folk just like you. I pledge allegiance to Adolf Hitler. I pledge allegiance to Adolf Hitler. The immortal leader of our race. The immortal leader of our race. To the order for which he stands. And to the order for which he stands. One great cause. One great cause. Sacred and invincible. Sacred and invincible. Hey, what's going on? Ah, those bums won their court case, so they're marching today. What bums? The fucking Nazi party. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. was just for the movie they didn't realize the social historical context oh was like when they were filming the movie actual nazis had won the right to march mm-hmm. in a suburb of chicago called skokie mm-hmm. and skokie is a neighborhood that was full of um jewish holocaust that's right. survivors that's right 
And so the Nazis went away. So apparently people don't even know that happened. I don't know. It's scary. But it's like, you know. It's scary. I'm like, come on. I was like, I was like. And my favorite <sighs> is these folks, that and it, then, Antifa is an acronym that stands for something, and that it's like this new American group. It's like, no, Antifa started what? in, in, in oh, Nazi man. and in fighting Mussolini. <laughs> like, these were folks, like, fighting the damn brown shirts before anybody else was. So mm-hmm. please learn something about history. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. I just can't. Antifa yeah. is just as bad as Nazis. Okay. No, and, you know, okay. Let's, let's just go with that. You just don't know. And, I, and, you know, part of the mm-hmm. problem... Part of the problem is our education system and the way we discuss history in this country is sort of um, geared to keep people not knowledgeable in these areas. So, um, but I, yeah. think, I do think um, I do think social media is a big game changer. I think podcasting is a big game changer because it does give folks the ability to learn about this stuff if they want to know about it. So they really if mm-hmm. they start learning about it, there's no excuse at this point, right? Exactly, exactly. But of course, then that becomes the other question is um, they can learn about it if they want to, but how do you help instill intellectual curiosity into people? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> like, how do you make them want to learn? Like, yeah, I mean, racism is bad, but I'm very comfortable right here. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, not, I'm not really bothered, bothered by it, you know. It's mm-hmm. <sighs> very frustrating. So, yeah, I, just... I don't know how to um, convince people to care. <laughs> I don't either. You know, and you sort of, you keep just talking. Um, I know that, I think the establishment wants us to get tired of fighting because that's how, that's how they win. And, uh, you know, the ultimate right. battle we're having the, against the platonomy is about extracting wealth. And yes, they use all of these other things that are interwoven together to be successful in that. And um, so we just have to keep trying to get people on board with our um, with the way we think and the way we see the world and hope that they see that they, there's an actual benefit for everybody by doing that. And I do think, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a tough it's a tough thing because racism, I don't think, is going away. I just I, I would like to believe in a, oh, an, an idealistic world in which racism did not exist. And in, in, the, in that I'm including, um, you know, uh, anti-Semitism and all the other things that have that same tendency, mm-hmm. Islamophobia, et cetera. But there's just some weird mm-hmm. thing that humans do with putting each other in boxes. And, but I do yeah. also think a lot of it stems from just not having the conversations. I think the more exposed you are to different cultures and different thoughts and different folks, you realize all of a sudden, you know, and I think the same is true with the trans movement. I think once you've been around trans folk, you realize like, really, what was I afraid mm-hmm. of? So a lot of the um, yeah exposure it's about mm-hmm. exposure that the white liberals sort of start listening a little more. <laughs> like I can people, only hope, man. Can, I don't know. I mean, look, I was super. I was probably that girl when I was in my youth. You know, I think back, but I mm-hmm. um, I was involved in an interracial relationship for a great serious relationship for a great many years, and I so I saw firsthand. Like it was very eye opening stuff that you would have never just never thought about all of a sudden was very much real in your world. So, um, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, it, oh, yeah. so I love your podcast. And I want to make sure that people go and subscribe to it. Um, I listen yeah. to you on iTunes. What other platforms are you on or what's the best one that you like? Uh, we're on pretty much everything. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, Podkicker. Um, you can also listen to episodes on our website. We now have a YouTube channel where we put up uh, oh. just like segments from the podcast. So, oh, right yeah, we're kind of all over so the place. Are you doing live yeah. broadcasting? Um, I don't know. I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we do Facebook Lives when the camera's functioning. Facebook Live has gotten weird with, like, keeping up uh, with live shows. But, yeah. So, um, yeah. And um, usually when we record, we're live on Blog Talk Radio. Um, It's not the Blog Talk Radio audio, ultimately, because then we take it and, like, mix it down and make it sound better because the Blog Talk Radio audio is crappy. But, um, or glitchy, I guess I should say. It can be be incredibly glitchy uh, sometimes. Look, let's be honest. Uh, Podcast (laughs) audio is already tough. Like, it's just not the best audio around, even when it's good. Yeah, which, yeah, if you listen to the show, make sure you tell my co-host that you appreciate his engineering because he yeah, no. spends a lot of it's time engineering the show. Ah, does he, does he study audio <laughs> engineering? He's, he's, how does he know how to do no. that? That's really impressive, he's, actually. Oh, because he's taught himself how to do it. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, much, much so, respect because yeah, that's like a skill, I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, it really is. Um, he's always been like an audio nerd, and ah, a lot of it stems. Okay. He's a total hip hop, total hip hop head, and so ah. like, I don't know how to do that. So he's you know been teaching himself, That's why and now he's good you know in your podcast. <laughs> it's like I'm yes, really nice. Yes. <laughs> it's robust. We do. We have a lot of fun instrumentals. We have a lot. Of, we have a lot of fun sound bites and instrumentals totally. going on. We try to make it. You know, we we we, we consider ourselves to be edutainment. We are trying to educate and entertain at the same time. So. Mm-hmm. And you, you do know, a good job of that. We do. Yeah, no, I've been listening for a while. Thank while. you. I'm glad I, um, in fact, Michael Graham, I think, is the one that got me started on it. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, my press, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's gotten in trouble a few times for sharing our content, but we, of Uh-oh. course, appreciate that he continues <laughs> to do so. So. Was he stealing it? That's hilarious. That's totally Michael. I love Michael. No, he wasn't stealing it. It's just, um, like, we, gonna... we hurt other people's feelings and they hurt it and we're like, stop sharing this because they're hurting our feelings. And blah, blah, blah. Oh. Um, but again, <laughs> this is social justice for adults. So that's hilarious. Take your hurt feelings elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> social justice yeah. for adults. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the kids' table. I will <laughs> go back to the kids' table. Your presence is neither needed nor requested. Leave. Oh my god. Um, like we're trying to do some shit here. All right. <laughs> yeah. Also, oh, it's probably we might also be like the Venus podcast you've ever heard because we just have a lot of don't give a fuck. Yeah, you know, no, I like I, it though. Just, I like you know. the irreverence of it. It's it, it's 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 it both informative and entertaining, and I like it because it um, you hear other viewpoints that you might not necessarily hear. It's because a lot of your viewpoints are non-conventional in many ways, which um, which is good. People yeah. need to hear this stuff, right? It, these are the as far as I'm concerned, these are the mm. uncomfortable conversations that we all need to start having. We've been tiptoeing around the elephant in the room for too many damn decades, and it's. You know, since mm-hmm. since the '60s, and I don't see, and we haven't gotten anywhere hardly. I mean, we've lost grounds in some areas. Um, you know, yep. it's frustrating. So I think this is. I know we need to push forward, right? Yeah. And then also, your We're Twitter, We're your Twitter handle. You, I know um, you have the Black Podcast Twitter page, but your handle is Uppity Negras, which is yes. like, totally awesome. <laughs> yes, Uppity Negras. Yes, two P's, two T's, two S's, because somebody took the correct spelling of it but yeah oh, so yeah okay. i'll put it meager on twitter okay. I, I talk a lot of shit yeah no, yeah, it's, yeah. Good. Good um, it's only supposed to have one t but yeah yeah it's, it's fun i talk a lot of shit on twitter oh, um and then of course so yeah then we have winecellarmedia.com uh is the website you can find us there uh, i'm on twitter we also have a couple facebook pages um we have the social dissonance a critical analysis of justice facebook page mm-hmm. and reading in the shade as well so yeah mm-hmm. kind of what All is over reading the, place? the shade? I do not know this one. 
Oh, that um, is my page where I occasionally put a blog post, put up news, things oh, that interest okay. me, you know, whatnot, what have you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right on. So, I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah.